In episode 8.2 of Unshuffled, we discuss the second album from Cavalera Conspiracy. It's called Blunt Force Trauma. Enjoy. Scotty D here. Matt. Portugal Matt. Yeah, what is it? Japan? Japan, Scott? I guess so. Yeah, no one cares. (laughs) People don't tune in to hear about our lives. They want to hear about the music. So we just cut to the chase. Nah. Let's get straight into what we're here to talk about today. We are here to talk music. We are unshuffled, of course. You know all this by now. You've heard the, the spiel many times. If you're new, look, I'll quickly run through it. We're unshuffled. We're trying to bring back the album. We're doing it one band at a time, one album at a time, and technically one song at a time. So we're picking a band that we know we should have listened to by now, and you all know the feeling. And uh, the band we've picked this time around is Cavalera Conspiracy. We're both big fans of the Cavalera Brothers' previous work. And uh, we've picked out this one because we we know we should have listened to it. We didn't. Last podcast was all about Inflicted. Now we're on to their second album, Blunt Force Trauma. Very metal sounding uh, title for an album. And my man in Japan, Scotty D, is going to tell us all the important details about this album before we jump in and dissect it. So... Give us the lowdown, Scotty. Tell us about Blunt Force Trauma. All right, here we go. Blunt Force Trauma. Uh, Release date was March 29 of 2011. Um, It was produced again by Max Cavalera and Logan Mader, uh, as was the last album. It's again on Roadrunner. Uh, It was recorded at The Liar in LA, California. I feel like it should read The Lair, but unless it was a misspelling, it says The Liar. Uh, L-I-A-R. L-I-A-R. But it feels like it should okay. be L-A-I-R. Whatever. Anyway, it's an L-I-R. I would have, I would have accepted L-Y-R-E. Ooh, that would have been musical. Um, mm. Our uh, our lineup here is a little bit of a change, a little bit of a tweak from the last album. Uh, we've got Max Cavalera, vocals, guitar, Igor on drums, Mark Rizzo on guitar, and Johnny Chow on bass, replacing Joe Duplantier. Although there shouldn't be any big surprises. Joe was probably busy. <laughs> he, he had other things to do. He was building a studio. Uh, thank you for your pronunciation and your Italian pronunciation of Rizzo. Uh, bravo. Uh, not Rizzo, as we'd say in Australia. Mark Rizzo, mate. Um, but, yeah, we've got Johnny Chow. Do you, do you know anything about Johnny Chow? Who is this guy? Oh, I did. I looked it up. Mm. Um. Uh, He's done uh, stuff. Uh, he was in. Uh, uh, here we go. He Cavalier because his Souls of We Fireball Ministry. Um, no, th- mm. there's there's a reason I didn't remember. Um, not much. Not much. I think he's an artist as well. Like I think he does illustrations or something. So I think he's like 
bass player slash artist of some sort. Okay. That's it. That's all yeah. I got. Yeah. We'll talk about the bass playing and, uh, you know, we'll get into all the, the music later. Uh, so 2011. So it's been a while since we did the last podcast. So I'm just trying to think. So there's a gap of a few years between the red one and the black one. Um, we might as well discuss the cover artwork. Very similar to the first one. So that really simple style. Uh, the first one was red with the CC uh, black, fa- black flag style logo. This one is black with the same logo. And, and, uh, and uh, it's got a lot of that sort of stencil style. Max seems to love his military stuff. Mm. So he, he's always wearing camo and, and he uses that stencil, military stencil font on on the cover here so yeah you know they've kept the aesthetic from the first album let's put it that way i i like i'm a huge fan of when bands do this when they have sort of like color themed i don't know like i know that you like baroness their album their, their covers are always vastly different they're not the same but i like the idea that i don't know each one is there's a there's like a dominant color theme and the album's called that What's been yeah. uh, Weezer, where they'll have just like it's almost a very similar photograph, but just of them having aged, but the background color. Change. I don't know. I like it. I was kind of hoping. Uh, I mean, red and black seem like obvious go tos, but I thought maybe the third album could have been like mm. a a nice fuchsia or or yeah. something. I, they don't. <laughs> this is the last of this is the last of this trend. But yeah. Oh well. I support it. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, the next two, just looking ahead, are very different indeed. But, uh, yeah, I like it. I like it. I, I, I'm with you. I wish I had kept it going. Uh, the cover or the art design is by someone called Kevin O'Dowd. I, I don't know that he had that much work to do. <laughs> it was a pretty simple uh, pretty simple brief. But, um, anyway, I, I do quite like the cover and, and the whole military aesthetic in, in the fonts. Should we get into it? We, I mean, do we just jump into it, or do you want to give me some initial thoughts? What what your expectations going in? Tell us about when you first press play. I'm if you're ready to jump in, I'm ready to jump in because I'm kind of I can answer that question while talking about track one. All right, yeah, let's jump in. Okay, um, all right. Well, so track one's called Warlord, and so what preceded my listening to this album was that interview that I posted in the show notes. Uh, mm. him talking about how the whole goal was to make this album heavier, right? They wanted to make the second album was to be heavier than the first album. And so I, I knew that going in and I definitely hearing this first track was just like, Oh, they, they totally nailed it. Right. This first chat, this first track absolutely, absolutely does that. And he even there's the, the that just that riff that drives the whole song, which that's the one thing like with Max Cavalera is he's really good about coming up with just really cool riffs. Uh, I was listening to an interview with, there was an interview with um, Chris Novoselic and Kim Thile from Soundgarden and Nirvana. Kim Thile was talking about the first time he ever heard Nirvana. He just kept looking around going, well, where's the riff? I don't, I don't hear a riff. And I was thinking Max Cavalera always comes up with cool riffs and and this this one drives a song but on top of that on top of making it heavier he's using these 
Like even the words he's choosing are these hard sounding consonants, right? That give it just sort of that extra punch. And then the the tempo change in the end with kind of the, the, the fading guitar arpeggios almost makes it feel like like when a storm has just passed or or what I envision here to be like whatever this the invading army of the warlord is like passing on to the next village. Um I I really like this song and, and, and I think it was a great album opener i like those descriptions and i agree a real sort of statement track i thought a great album opener and um all of those i mean we spoke very positively about their first album i think all the ingredients that made us enjoy that or helped us to enjoy that first album so much are back here and and as you said maybe the dial's gone up a notch the thing that stood out for me on on my first listen to this first song was just that production, that that clean and satisfying crunch in the guitar. So it's Logan Mader again on production here, and it, it's a brilliant, I think, modern metal sound. I, it's it stands out to me as just a great sounding album. Um, there there are a few. Like we're not, this is not Sepultura anymore. And I think perhaps, and we can talk about the reviews later on. This got some negative reviews in various, um, you know, online outlets. And I, but I think you can't come into this expecting this to be just a rehash of Sepultura. And anyone that did that probably is is disappointed. And I, and I admire the fact that they've. They're not just trying to do what Sepultura did. And there is a modern, not only in the production, but there's some of those sort of squeals that we associate with post-2000 heavy metal that, that we're seeing here. So it's a more modern twist on both the production and also some of the uh, guitar techniques. Um, but, yeah, a real stomper, a real, <laughs> you know, slap in the face of, of of a song this one to lead us into the album and you know just in case you uh you had any doubts about their intentions on this album i think the next one torture maybe even <clears throat> takes things up takes things up a notch again in terms of aggression this you know the second track is a, a shorter song less than two minutes this one reminded me of Slayer at their most brutal, you know, sort of raining blood era Slayer, just in terms of the speed of the song, the, the, the fact that it was over so quickly and the sheer a- aggression of the lyrics, you know, the violent content of the lyrics. It, it, it's brutal track two and, and just the song title itself, Torture. I think, and, and you spoke about that interview and he mentioned this as one of the circle pit songs that uh, was deliberately designed to provoke a response in the audience and, and get people jumping aggressively, uh, preferably in a circular motion in the crowd. So a brutal second song to follow up that that intro. Your thoughts on track two, Torture? The, the thing about these circle pit songs, you can kind of see them coming just by looking at how long the song is, right? It's just this yeah. just this burst of, of just manic energy. And, mm. then, and then they just move on. They don't even, like, it's just like, all right, here we you got one minute and 52 seconds. Shake it out, and we're going to move to the next song. 
And so, yeah, you're right. Here again, it starts with this punishing wall of noise. There's the, I really like the picking style of the guitar. It's like this frantic up and down picking of the guitar. Uh, you've got Igor really comes through on on uh, on drums here. And the bass, the way that the bass and the drums work together uh, on this song, I, I they're more... I don't know. It sounds like maybe even the bass is dialed up a little bit more on this album than, than, than Joe was on the last one. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of just end it all with um, Max's yell and, and Rizzo's lead shredding to, to your point about the, the guitar. I'd never really like when I hear this, this kind of the, those guitar squeals, and I always associated it with corn. Um, was that a Ross Robinson thing? I wonder, because you're absolutely right that that post like 2000, Late nineties, maybe. Yeah, late nineties, post two thousand, and it really becomes really prevalent in in in, in metal for a, a pretty large chunk of time. Mm. Anyway, I was thinking that while you said it. Track three. Which, yep, leads us into track three, Lynch Mob, uh, featuring Roger. Shall we go, Mirai from uh, Agnostic? La di da. Here again, it follows the uh, sort of that similar formula of just strong riff to drive the song. The one thing that I, I really wanted, I guess, that I was noteworthy for me of this song is that I really like how the two vocals work together. Um, they're so distinct, but they they sound so well together, especially when they double up on that shouting of lynch mob. But when they trade, when they trade verses, it works mm. well. And then on that doubled up shouting, it, it works really well. Mm. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm a fan of Roger. I think they should... Uh, bring him back for some more tracks how familiar with were you with the work of agnostic front before listening to this i know agnostic front and i know a song here or there but i'm not familiar enough to have known his name i'm not familiar enough to have if i if i had just heard this song there's no way i would have i would have recognized that on my own yeah no i was not familiar at all and you know embarrassingly so perhaps but that whole scene seems to have been a really big influence on the Cavaliers and and this album, I, and again that goes back to what I was saying before about this is not a metal album in the same way that the Sepultura albums were. They're wearing their hardcore influences, you know, on their sleeves here, on their camouflaged sleeves here. My knowledge of that whole hardcore that, it was New York, right? That that was it, the birth of it. What do you know? Can you fill me in on a little bit on I hardcore? Can't, Here's the problem. I'm ignorant to it, and I don't know how to talk to it because the problem is, is that there's a version of that New York hardcore scene which is kind of really uncomfortable for me to take on. It gets, it gets, it it gets racist. <laughs> there, and I, and and this is where my ignorance comes through. I, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where Agnostic Front falls on that side. I know that of that New York hardcore scene. It, it it gets ugly on one side um, right. and, and then there's another side that, that doesn't and and I don't know where agnostic front falls on that hmm. so there, I mean there were, but there were, it wasn't just racism was it there was other no 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 sorry yeah I'm not trying to narrow it down to that no it was I mean musically it was like a crossover it was it was a crossover of, of like punk and thrash. Right hmm. is is kind of what they were doing, and and a lot of it I think started out the same way that punk always starts out. It just sort of disenfranchisement, right? It's just sort of it, it, it was kind of it exploded in the eighties, and I guess the the 
the side that I politically leaned towards was the side that was just against what was going on with the Reagan era. Right. Um, but then there was a, there was a, a skinhead side that took over from that. Yep. And I don't know, I don't know where agnostic front falls on that sort of where they fall in that equation. Okay. Cause yeah, um, we did mention the influence of Jello Biafra and the dead Kennedy's, uh, you know, certainly influenced the last album. And, um, and, and there was some, you know, Sepultura did cover the dead Kennedy's and, and, and it's not, this is not a new influence for the band, but it's, I think the first time these, these guys have said, let's not just have hardcore, that hardcore scene as an influence, but let's make a metal hardcore album like let's let's play hardcore metal like you know i guess it's a it's not straight hardcore there's a there's certainly the the metal side of it but it's not a straight metal album i did find just to to put a pin in this i did find a quote from roger murray in 1985 talking about how they're skinheads in the sense that they shave their head but they're not ultra nationalists or fascists okay but yeah obviously there was some some you know the fact that he had to he made a point to to draw that line shows that there was perhaps some some tension in there at some point just to finish my thoughts on the song uh yeah i like the vocals too lyrically it's just it's a story of violent revenge you know retribution we can talk about the lyrics as we go through but it, it wasn't a strong point on the previous album i don't think it's ever been a strong point in in max's songwriting his his lyrics but um yeah there's some squeals again i really like rizzo's rizzo's uh solos in this as i did on the previous album and uh this song features a, a really nice solo towards the end uh track four is called killing inside which is the longest track on the album so far it's the one that they chose to release as a single, you know. So there's a film clip to this, which is, I believe, shot in Spain somewhere, um, hmm. somewhere with a lot of churches. Can you tell me a Spanish city which has a lot of churches? All of them, I'm sure. I, but, uh, I was just gonna say, don't they all do? But don't <laughs> don't you in Lisbon as well? Yeah, yeah. There's plenty here too. But this is, you know, compared to the first three songs there this is a much slower build much catchier um, sort of rhythm uh, and chorus you know it, it rocks and there's even a sort of i've written the word atmospheric i, I might rethink that <laughs> but you know certainly a, a head bombing sec a head bobbing section that you know as i walk in the valley of the shadow of death that bit has a you know, you can really rock along to that. So um, it's certainly the catchiest of the songs so far, and I guess that's why they chose it as their film clip song. Very good. Imagine it'd be great live, sort of the first one you can really sing along to rather than just going crazy. Uh, so enjoyed it. Killing Inside was good. Yeah, I think I had this as my favorite track. Oh, I haven't picked one. I think I had I think I'd pegged this one. It kind of it has a bit of an industrial feel to it. I really like the quiet layering of how the like the bass and the guitar underneath sort of um 
maybe what you were calling atmospheric, kind of like the whispered parts, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if whispered is the right word, but the kind of the softer parts. And then I, I really sort of like that, the breakdown at that two minute mark. Uh, and then it's got kind of that triumphant guitar sound that's swelling that to your point, I think would look, would work really well in sort of a large festival setting. It had almost like a, a ghost like theatrical element to it. Kind of just that last minute of this song that, that I really liked, which takes us into track five thrasher. This is, this is another one that I think, uh, for sure was written for the circle pit. And, uh, it's, but, but with that said, it's still layered. And the one thing I appreciate about this album more than the other one is, is the songs feel more nuanced. It feels like it's it, the songs are even these even these shorter circle pit songs that still are kind of just get in get out. They're not. They're still layered. There's still sort of elements of nuance to them. This one, it has the build up to the guitar solo with this ascending riff right before Rizzo just starts shredding. I don't know. It, it feels like maybe it was less rushed. Maybe they had more time to kind of work through it. But but there are elements of to these songs that are more developed than what I felt were was happening on the first album and this song is one of those that highlights that it could have just been just blast this riff out for two and a half minutes and then but but they didn't yeah i mean it does what it does what it says on the box this song it's a it's a thrasher of a song uh the song it reminded me of was another i've mentioned slayer already now slayer they had hardcore influences as well Mm -hmm. In fact, they released a, a, an entire album of, of hardcore covers. Uh, this reminded me of Ditto Head, which was uh, off Divine Intervention. The riff was similar, I thought, and just that whole the, the whole vibe to the song. Again, I, what separated or, or lifted this song for me, and you can probably see where my Brownlow votes are going to go, was the melodic guitar work and soloing of Mark Orizzo. um, There's another great example of it here. Uh, I think he's great. And um, the big thing for me is that stand out, you know, that that I've learned from listening to this band is I've got to go and listen to Soulfly. Mm. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we talk about bands you should have listened to. Obviously, Cavalera, the Cavalera conspiracy, but this has just highlighted the fact that this guy's been doing this stuff on plenty of albums and and I've missed it all. Anyway, uh, so I like his work and um, I also like the next song, I Speak Hate. Now, I've got the CD, so we don't have a side one and side two. I'm I'm guessing I Speak Hate might be... We always like to hypothesise. I don't think it actually matters these days unless you're buying the vinyl where the side one ends and where the side two begins but i'm guessing this is the end of side one the word hate comes up a lot in this song and uh as i say to my son quite a lot hate is a very strong word uh it's a real galloping riff in this uh igor drives the whole thing i mean he always does you know anything igor's playing on he's he's the one driving it uh, I do like the final. There's a sort of slower sh- section towards the end, and it fades out. It seems to be a critique of the 
criminal justice system, what, you know, what prison done, does to a person, how it makes you hate. And um, so, uh, you know, in terms of lyrics, I guess this, this is perhaps some of the more uh, profound lyrics on the album to this point. Uh, it felt a little unfinished to me, this song. I thought maybe it, you know, it had another minute or two in it, you know, if they wanted to to fill it out. But look, it's fine. Um, and all those ingredients that have made the, the album fun to this point are still there. So not a bad song. And um, yeah, interesting. Interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, this song has a definite sort of 80s thrash feel to it. Speaking of which, we were just kind of talking about that um it's got that sort of that dual lead riff during the verse uh the intro has like that monster riff with the clean lead guitar we talked about that i think you talked about it back in the first track um i i love what they do with sort of that clean sounding guitar and how, how they're able to make it heavy and i like i like a good heavy clean guitar that doesn't have to sort of hide anything or muddy anything in the distortion and and this song has that i, I get your point and agree with you that it does feel unfinished. This one, I guess, contrary to the point that I had just made with Thrasher, does feel like uh, maybe there's more that could have been added to it. Mm. Um, which tracks, track takes us into Target. Uh, and the drums at the beginning of this song are, are awesome. They're <laughs> just so, so cool. And I like how it breaks down to halftime for the chorus. The the end of the song feels very much like an old Sepultura song, the way that it kind of just the, the Max's influence, the sound of the guitar, it all just, that felt really sort of very Sepultura to me. Um, and then again, with Mark Rizzo, he just, there's, it doesn't feel like there's any more room. And, 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 and there is, and he comes in with just kind of these cool bursts of just... I, I don't even know what to call them. They're not, they're not really solos. They're, they're just kind of these riffs, these licks, right? For lack of a better word that he just throws down on the song where you're like, there's no more space, Mark, you're not going to fit. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to fit. And then he just like throws it out there and you're like, Oh yeah, that, that fit. Yeah. He's great. Uh, it packs a lot. This is a two and a half minute, two minute 37 it packs a lot into it. I thought it didn't, this one didn't feel unfinished. This felt like a complete package. Um, love the intro, that muffled fade-in effect, and, and yeah, the drums at the start. Yeah, Slayer influence again. I, I've picked, picked up a lot of a lot more Slayer on this album than the previous one. And yeah, love the that mid-tempo section in the middle here. The, the great riff, uh, the Who against Who against. I'm coming for you now. That bit uh, really enjoyed. So uh, a lot in this song. The next one's called Genghis. Khan, four minutes twenty-four. Um, Is there a winner? Mm, that, that's the longest. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Have you listened? You got much interest in the Mongols? I am. Yes. In fact, I'm fascinated by this. What I'm fascinated by with Genghis Khan is the fact that, no, I mean, they were nomadic. Nothing. Nothing remains. Right. There's, mm. It's not like there's anything that you can go see that. I, I'm just I'm I'm very fascinated by the Mongolian Empire and sort of its existence when it existed, the fact that it existed for so long, and I can't. I have a, a friend who who lived in Mongolia for five years, 
there's just there are no remnants. Um, do you listen to have you listened to Dan Carlin's history podcast on on the topic? No, it's a re- recommendation for you and for our listeners. Um, I don't know. It's, it's probably twenty hours he's uh, he's spent, and it's there's not not a second wasted. Great stuff. I mean, fascinating. Fascinating. He, he uses the phrase "the people of the steppe." He uses that a lot. <laughs> um, but they, yeah, incredible, and, and just the way he describes their, their horsemanship. I don't think there's ever been better horse riders in. Can, through, can we use history. that phrase too, or would that be plagiarism at this point? No, I'm sure we can. We'll work it. Um, I, I thought this. The lyrics to this actually read a little bit like a Wikipedia page. If I had to be critical, such an interesting story, but it, it just felt like here's a list of things that happened to Genghis Khan. Step one, early life. Uh, Poisoned my father. (laughs) It's a much, it's a real, it's a mid-tempo stomper, this one, more so than a lot of the thrashier songs earlier on the album. The second half's a little bit different, and and Rizzo, again, comes to the fore in in the second half of this song with the solos, and he's got some fast fingers, that guy. I mean, there's some sort of... there's thrashy sections and stompy sections kind of they, they trade off really good song and uh, enjoyed enjoyed hearing about the life of, of Genghis and and the Mongols uh, you know reminded me I must go back and re-listen to to that podcast series anyway your thoughts before the, I want to know what the series was called I found Dan Carlin by the way um, hardcore oh, so history he, oh hardcore okay uh, so this is the first of kind of the history trilogy or the, the Wikipedia trilogy, if you prefer. Um, yeah. and then in this one, we sort of start on the, on this journey, right. In, in, in the Mongol empire, this of the three songs, again, kind of going with, with nuance, I guess, musically, it's a little bit more nuanced than the other two. It has tempo changes, the pinch harmonics, uh, he changes his vocal stylings throughout the song, like the way he sings, um, and then just killer guitar solo, as you mentioned. But yeah, lyrically, I mean, it's did his research somewhere. It, it's pretty spy. I bet Genghis Khan would listen to it and go, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> he he yeah. hit all the high points. Yeah, um, yeah great. Yeah, true. And so uh, that then moves us into uh, Texas, circa 1993, mm. with uh, Burn Waco. Mm. And uh, again, seems to be structured like another Circle Pit song. Uh, but again, he, he did his homework somewhere. I'm a lot of references to the, you know, there's the, the Davidian death cult. Uh, and then talking about the seventh seal won't be revealed. I don't know much about the branch Davidians and what happened at Waco. I remember for some reason watching it happen in real time in the cafeteria during study hall when I was in high school. Right. Uh, they had the news on and all of a sudden they cut away to this moment and the study hall teacher scrambling to turn off the television. But there was something to, they, they called themselves, they were Branch Davidians, but they weren't anymore. They were becoming, they called themselves the students of the seventh seal or something. I don't, it was a cult and it ended the way that a lot of these cults seem to end badly. It, yeah, it, it, it's all in there. The the lyrics sort of kind of pick up more of the, which suggests to me he he knows he he 
Max knows more about this than I do because he kind of picked up some of the subtleties. Yeah, well, it's not the first time the Cavalera brothers have written about the Waco siege and sung about it. There's a song on Chaos AD called Amen, which is a is a great song, which is also on the same topic, less mm-hmm. overtly, but yeah, I think they they it's it is about Waco. I'm a little bit older than you, so but it didn't get. I'm sure, you know, it didn't get the same coverage in Australia that it obviously would have got in the USA. And yeah, there is a certain fascination in these in these cults, especially you know when the, when they end as they often do. And and I, I think this one had the added layer of the role of the the forces and, and whether they did the right thing, you know. So there was a lot of complexity in in the story and the way it ended and a lot of criticism about the way the authorities handled it and whether they could have saved more lives at the end. The song itself, yeah, really good. Um, love Igor's role in this, you know, as he leads the, the song in. There's, again, the squealy stuff in the in the riffs. There's an... There's a real scream when he's screaming murder, murder. It's, it almost gets to black metal levels of, of screaming. So it's a really, it really adds the intense vibe of the song. And there is that seventh seal bit towards the end is, is quite hooky and, and, and catchy. So uh, lots of different elements to the song, which perhaps, you know, as I said, I hadn't listed my favorite song, but that this might be it. Um, there's another contender. Oh no, actually, this is probably second favorite for me, but I certainly don't mind it. One of the better songs on the album, and um, very, very well done. Uh, and the, yeah, as you said, so that's the second in the history lessons, and the third one comes next with a bit of Rasputin, uh, straight down to business with Rasputin, a, a thrashier. <laughs> This one was not particularly memorable for me, though. I thought um, Rasputin of the three was was perhaps the weakest. Uh, The chorus was stab, poison, shot, drown, which sounded like a really bad drinking game to me. Uh, You know, not the sort sort of drinking game you want to play. I don't know, Rasputin feels like that topic's been done to death in metal, and this one wasn't a particularly interesting iteration on on the Rasputin theme, but uh, perhaps you liked it more than I did. I don't have much more to add um, other than I liked the effect of the vocals when they would shout revolution. Yeah. That was, that was a nice touch. Um, Yeah. This is, we're always hunting filler around this part of the album. I think we might've, we might've hit some here perhaps. Yeah. I think you might be right. Although I am, weirdly fascinated by Rasputin and just how he got so much power in Imperial Russia. Yeah. yeah well, that'll be another podcast. We'll do our own history yeah. podcast. Um, well, Dan, Dan could tell us more about that. Surely he's done it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Which takes us into track 11, which is the final track of the album, Blood Force Trauma. And again, 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 Mark Mark Rizzo gets the the chance to kind of step to the front and and show us what he's got. I really like the riff at the break. The tempo changes. Igor has some really cool tom fills in here uh, before the doubling of the guitar and the leads that fade out to the end of the album. Just like 
um, Warlord was a great album starter. Blunt Force Trauma, the way it ends, is a great album finisher. I think that they yeah. bookended this album really well. Yeah, this was, to me, this this was my favourite song on the album. And this was the closest. Remember how much I loved Blood Brawl off the previous album? Mm. This, I thought, was the closest this album got to Blood Brawl. This this album had shorter songs, and, and but this was as, as close as they got to that high point off their previous album. And as such became my favourite off this album, particularly that third section, when, you know, there's this, the slower drums, the dum-dum-dum, the, there's a ride cymbal, layered guitars, chugging. So you can really hear the bass in this song and sometimes you, it's not quite as clear but there's a, a lovely chugging bass line that's very audible that sits beneath this song, particularly in that final section. So, uh, yeah, and Love Eagles, double kick work, and all those ingredients that have been there all throughout this album are on display here. And I think it's perhaps the best showcase for the combination of, of those great heavy metal elements and, and what, uh, you know, th- these guys are experts at, at using these tools and combining them. And this is a great example of that. Lyrically, not, you know, it's a song about. Uh, you know, a, a blunt instrument delivered violently to someone's head. So, you know, there's nothing particularly profound about that other than it's a powerful, violent image. But um, so, again, the, the lyrics are the weak point in what's otherwise an excellent song and, in fact, my favourite song off the album. We got through it pretty quickly. Uh, perhaps not quite as quickly as the album itself, but we're not uh, we're not too far behind. Uh, perhaps we can talk overall thoughts. I, despite okay, so the reviews were pretty negative on this album. Yeah, I I liked it more than the first album. To be honest with you, I liked this album more than I liked Inflicted, and I think I've kind of alluded as to why. I felt like the songs were sort of overall more more developed and more nuanced i even feel like the lyrics like the way that you kind of just described the lyrics of blunt force trauma the last album was kind of just filled with more of that it was more just kind of descriptions of violence whereas this one lyrically it was more narrative right there were there were there was more storytelling to the lyrics which um which i liked i think overall i i overall i liked this album more than more than inflicted yeah. No, I really liked Inflicted. I really liked this one too. I th- I think it ha- did cop some unfair criticism, and I think some of that steps back, stems back to a misunderstanding of just what the band was trying to achieve here, like, the, and the fact that they're not. It's not a metal album in the in the true sense of the word. They're not. It's not Sepultura. They're not trying to recreate that. And in fact, I admire the fact that they're trying to do something, a new take on, on their old shtick. It, you know. Sepultura 2.0 would have, they could have done that, but it, it wouldn't have been that interesting. I think this is better. Having said that, you know, individually, I don't think the songs themselves are, are great. Like, they're good. To me, it's more just, uh, I, I think the album itself is greater than the sum of its parts. There's no real standout that's an amazing. In the, in the same way, you know, Blood Brawl to me was that on the previous album, but this is just, there's just 
an overall effect that this album creates through the production, the guitar, you know, the Rizzo's guitars, Igor's drums, that, and, and it's over so quickly that it just feels like it's almost like a, a you know a slap around the head. You know, it's like, wow, it, it kind of wakes you up, and um, I, I like that about. It. I like the fact that it's a statement. It it's a statement of the things that they love, and it's and it's so well crafted and well put together that despite the fact that there aren't any to me songs that are going to stay with me forever the album itself and just that the vibe of it will that feeling that i got listening to that over the last few weeks will stay with me and i'll i will come back to this album i, I think um, but yeah you can uh, you, you know i'm not sure if you agree with my thoughts there no i do i i absolutely agree i like the way that you sort of when you uh described it within regards to the sum of its parts, right? Where the album itself is on a whole better, but it's hard to pick. I mean, and you're right. If I was to line them up, it's, it's, it's conceivable. And I don't have the track list in front of me. The songs I like from inflicted, I liked more than the songs I like from here. But overall, yeah. I think I like this. I enjoyed the experience of this album more than, yeah. than inflicted. And it is an experience. It is an experience. It, it's a. It puts you through the ringer in a lot of ways. It's a. It's a real. It's blunt. Blunt force trauma is a, It's a, just a great title for the album. It kind of highlights the effect that this album has on, on upon listening, and I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, Van Brownlow. We can't forget. Van Brownlow. Do, 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 do. And I think we're about three weeks away from the actual Brownlow now, so that's uh, oh, it's always exciting when those two things line up. Yeah, we'll, coming to the end of the Australian keep, football season. You'll have to keep us posted. All right, yeah, you want to start this one or you want me to? Uh, I'll take it away. Okay. You know where I'm going with my three votes, best on ground. My The guitarist, Mark Rizzo, is my three-vote performer on this album. I thought he was the star of this album. And... Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think he's great, and um, I will be chasing up more of his work once we're done with this band. Igor has to get the number two, and I'm apologies to Johnny Chow. I, I did quite like Johnny's bass playing on this album. Understated, but but certainly not invisible. Uh, but Max has to get the, the number one as, as the creative driving force behind the band. So Rizzo 3, Igor 2, Max 1. And you? Um, I went, my one went to one vote. I reversed Max and Igor. My one vote went to uh, Igor. My two goes to Max. But then my three had to give that to Rizzo. He, uh, okay, you're on the same page with Rizzo. I'm on the same page. He does, he does, he did good things. Uh, good things. Yeah. <laughs> I like him. I like the cut of his jib. <laughs> you're a Soulfly fan, so you're you're familiar yeah. with him. But to me, he's, yeah. he's I just... saw I saw Soulfly Black Sabbath played a show at Hyde Park. Gosh, I don't even know how long ago now. It was Black Sabbath. Uh, Soundgarden. It Soundgarden did Super Unknown in its entirety. So it must have been some sort of anniversary for that. It was Black Sabbath, Soundgarden, Faith No More, and Soulfly. Right. And hey. uh, 
And I mean, that's a great lineup. The fact that Saltfly are on the same bill as those other ones is I, well, they 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 kicked the whole thing off, but they right. stood. I mean, they stood out. It was it was you know they they definitely carried their own. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I've got to I've got to go back and do Saltfly. I'll, I'll have to find someone else to do that with though. I'll have I'll have to do uh, some other version of Unshuffled with someone who's never heard Soulfly before. <laughs> I can or maybe I could just listen to him without doing a podcast about it. That would be you the You could other do option. that too, but I'm I'm happy to pretend. I can right. uh, I can play along. All right. <laughs> I know the role at this point. Yeah, all right, good. Um So, I think we're uh, I think we're at the end of chatting about this album and um we can move on to the next one. The, me- the next one uh, is it pandemonium? Pandemonium, or is it psych? It's pandemonium next, right? Pandemonium. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get on to that. We do the <laughs> as sometimes happens. The bands that we've previously covered release new albums, which always throws a spanner in the works. So I think there's a new one coming out from Abrams in the next few weeks, which we will uh, no doubt get to. But I think we can. We might be able to sneak pandemonium in before then thank you listener for sticking with us and uh, i hope you've enjoyed our brief thoughts on on a brief album here a brief but brutal album and uh, stick with us as we explore the next one in the cavalaria conspiracy catalog pandemonium and um so we'll get back to that in the next three or four weeks no doubt scotty d and uh so go and download that or Order the CD or the vinyl, whatever you do, and have a listen. And join us next time as we break it down. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, listeners. Thank you to the throngs who's ever got their algorithms got all glitchy and <laughs> led them to our, <laughs> our podcast, our last yeah. episode. Hope you're yeah, still we have here. Thousands of new listeners now. So, uh, <laughs> They're gone. Thank you. It was a one-time thing. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody. Be well. <laughs> <laughs>